basis, a, a real a simple couple lessons on witnessing, and uh, we left off. We left off talking about giving other people your testimony as a great way to witness. If you have your Bibles here this morning, take it and go to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. But uh, just by way of quick review, there's different ways you can witness. And good to see you this morning, brother. And before we do, let's pray. Father, we sure love you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for our freedoms. And I know, Lord, I know our freedoms have made most of Christianity apostate. But Lord, I thank you for them. Thank you, Lord, that we have the freedom we do to move, have our being, to uh, gather together in this uh, public assembly. And Father, I pray that you bless the time spent around your word. Father, I pray that you open my ears and open my eyes, Lord, to be able to give the sense clearly. Help me not say anything contrary to the word of God. Lord, I pray that you bless your people for being here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I talk about different ways to witness, different ways to tell others about Jesus Christ. And, uh, and uh, the first one we have encountered here is giving people your personal testimony of how you got saved. And we said this last week, your testimony is, is extremely unique. It's very powerful because it belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Everyone has the same condition before they're saved. They're lost and on their way to hell. And then they, uh, someone told you about Jesus Christ. And by the grace of God, you trusted him. You did what the Bible said. And now you're saved. So you have a very unique... Uh, there's no two testimonies in this room that are alike. They might contain the same things, like you were lost, because everyone is lost at one point in time. You, uh, someone told you about Jesus Christ, like we said, and then you trusted Christ and are now saved, but they're all different how it happened. Amen? And, but you're giving your personal testimony is a great way to witness. And uh, we went over the John chapter 9 and all that one feller. He didn't know really anything about the Bible. He was blind. And uh, when the religious leaders hauled him up before him, he said, look, I don't know whether this feller is a sinner like you're talking about, but all I know is I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> Amen. And uh, all, like we said, all believers now have the same testimony. And uh, we were at one time lost in our sin. Someone then showed you. How to be saved. Do you remember when someone showed you how to be saved? Amen. That's a breath of fresh air, even if it's all stale around you. Amen. And now we're on our way to heaven. So uh, that's what you can do. You can tell them about your personal testimony. We said this about your personal testimony. Uh, you should tell them briefly about your life before becoming a Christian. Now, if you got saved as a young person, praise the Lord for it. However, not everyone gets saved when they're young. Amen. But you'll tell them about your life before becoming a Christian. We said this is not necessary to go into the detail and drudgery of all the sins you committed. We never want to glorify sin. Amen. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Uh, you can say something like, I'm ashamed of my sins that I committed before I saved, or my life was empty and hopeless without Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the next thing you would do is after you tell them about your life before becoming a Christian, is then you would tell the person how you got saved. Someone told me, showed me from the Bible that I was a sinner and I was headed to hell. And it showed me there, and I believe the Bible said that God's Son was the one who paid the penalty for my sin. If I believed on Him, and you tell them how you got saved, and you just, what you ought to do is just keep it short and simple. You know, salvation is so simple, men are the ones that complicate it. 
dare stop and think about. Paul says the simplicity of salvation. Now, look, once you're saved, it'll take your entire life of living and giving to serve and please God. Amen? But as far as salvation, it's like, you know what? You repent and believe. It's that simple. And finally, number three, you express how Jesus Christ has changed your life and the fact now that you have real purpose and joy for living. So that's your personal testimony. And uh, you know what? Uh, a lot of you work around the same individuals uh, or have an uh, have a, have a influence of certain people that you see from time to time. And if you get the opportunity, you ought to ask the Lord for the opportunity or the liberty to give them your testimony. And it might be uncomfortable, but I would encourage you to do that. Um, you know, and, and of course, uh, how do you get into that conversation? Well, you just kind of got to break the ice. You know, if you're a vacuum salesman, you know someone needs a vacuum. <laughs> they got carpet, they need a vacuum, amen. Well, if they're alive, they have a soul, and they need Jesus Christ. And you might just tell them those things. Well, we, we left off last Sunday morning on specific pointers, and I just want to go through these. And these are just some, some pointers and some things that can help you out when you're trying to give your personal testimony. We take them from Acts 26. We said, uh, number one, be courteous and don't force your testimony. Just be courteous. Acts chapter 26, verse 1, the Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Now, that's dangerous because Paul's a preacher, amen. Every time you give a preacher a chance to to talk, he's going to talk. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. So we left off on this. Look, if you're visiting someone at their door, you have to remember that you haven't been invited. That's when you go knock on doors. You've got to always remember that, all right? Uh, you got to be polite. And if they're not interested, you just, maybe you can leave them a track if they'll take one. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just be brief. Uh, try to be, uh, use, I say, common sense. I know we live in a day and age where, well, I guess we're not too much of that anymore. But if you look and you pay attention to people, you can get, you can read their body language. And you can tell whether or not they want to talk to you more or they want to shut the door in your face. A lot of people, they'll just do that, amen? So you've got to be able to be polite and be courteous. And here's the thing. If they're not interested, you just be brief and leave them a track if you can. Just get that track in the door. All right, you don't, uh, uh, here's the thing. If you're rude at their door and you don't have the right manners, because every Christian should be polite. Now listen, every Christian shouldn't be a, a wimp, but you ought to be polite, right? But if you're rude and have uh, what you'd call uncouth manners, you're going to further alienate that person from Jesus Christ. And you know what? They're going to blame you for it because you were rude at their door, right? Think about it. You don't have to be so spiritual that you uh, quote a verse of Scripture to everyone who refuses to talk to you, <laughs> you know? You say, what is that? What is that? I don't know. If you've got a chance to go on the street, uh, there are some rude people. They don't want uh, what you're offering. They don't. Uh, some will swear at you. Someone will, uh, some will mock you, you know? Some of it's funny and some of it's, it's embarrassing, why? You're bearing reproach outside the camp. Like in here, you know what? I believe we're on the same page. And I don't think we're embarrassed around each other here in the church house because we all love the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. We want to do what we can to please the Lord. But when you go out there, now you're in the world. And uh, you don't have to be so spiritual that you quote a verse of Scripture to everyone who refuses to talk to you. You know what that is? 
That's just being an idiot. <laughs> Here's actually what it is. In reality, it is often, and you've got to think about this, it is our own insecurity and it's our own immaturity that prompts rudeness. You know, Jesus Christ, when he was uh, accused, when he was afflicted, the Bible says when he was reviled, reviled not again. And that can be difficult when you're dealing with people because you have something that they need, you know they need it, you have it, and then they're rude to you and your flesh wants to just give them what for. Sure does. And if you don't think it does, you ain't never been on the street. <laughs> uh, my early years of street preaching, uh, when they would uh, come after me verbally, man, I had about five or six verses of scripture I'd rattle off with a trumpet voice and thought I was spiritual. No, it's just, just rude, just immature. Look, gospel's a free gift. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I'm starting to chronicle these as I go through the gospel this time, and I got a little page in the back, blah, 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 so forth and so on. But when they, people didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying, you know what Jesus did? He left. And on the flip side, when people wanted to hear him more, like when he went uh, into Samaria in John chapter 9, and they wanted him to stay, he stayed for two more days. He's a perfect gentleman. What I'm saying is, is if they don't want what you're giving them by way of witnessing or your personal testimony, it's okay. You're just doing what you're doing to please the Lord anyways. Uh, this debating and back and forth and rude behavior that often happens in uh, younger Christians and maybe some physically older Christians that maybe never spiritually developed, it's just rude, it's just immature, and uh, it's our own insecurity. Stop and think about that. You're complete in Jesus Christ. There's no reason for you to be insecure in your flesh. Amen? Uh, so you don't need to uh, drop to belittling or debating. And I'm, like I said, I'm not talking about someone wants to be, get physical. Just get out of there, right? <laughs> Take care of yourself. But you have to realize, and I think you do, uh, because I think we've been out there, what, half a dozen times this, this uh, summer. I think it's been about half a dozen times. And I think today may, might be our last time out there on the street. But many people are not going to be interested. I know you find that hard to believe, right? Many people are not going to be interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop and think about it. The Bible says that men love darkness because their deeds were evil, right? So if you go into most bars or sports clubs, they're very dimly lit, aren't they? Imagine that. But if you go into the room of someone who's been watching television and this dimly, and you just flick the light on, you're going to irritate the fire out of them. And that's what you do in this sin-cursed world. When you take the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, they're in darkness. You turn the light on, and guess what? They don't like it. <laughs> the first thing they want to do is get rid of the light. So you have to realize that. Many people are not going to be interested in what you're telling them, and even some are going to get mad. You ever be in a deep sleep and someone like your sweetheart turns the lights on in the room? It makes you angry, don't it? Kids, kids go leave every light on in the house, and you're trying to get some shut-eye. Drive you up a stinking wall, man. Uh, some are going to get mad, while others, you know what? Others are going to be like, they're indifferent, right? They don't care. Um, but uh, in witnessing and telling others about Jesus Christ, what we have to do as Christians, and this is part of growing up for the Lord, you kind of got to learn to see past yourself. You know, if they get upset, they're really not upset at you. John chapter 15, I believe it's verse 18, the world hates you because it hated Jesus Christ. So when you're out there speaking about Jesus Christ, you're not speaking about yourself. 
they call you ugly and stupid and all that. They're not, they're not mad at you. They don't even know you. They're mad because you're giving them Jesus Christ. All right, so always remember, you represent, number one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the situation where we go out on the street, you also represent your church. Amen. Fair enough, right? So you got to remember, you represent the Lord first. And, uh, you know, the old saying is, what would Jesus do? Well, he wouldn't debate with them. He would tell them the truth, and if they didn't want it, and they asked Jesus to leave, he would always leave. Think about Mark chapter 5, the maniac at Gadara there, right? He goes in there, and he does his work, and he casts the devil out of that. And that, uh, that demon-possessed man, he's now no longer demon-possessed, but he's sitting there at the feet of Jesus, clothed. That's interesting they put that on there. Clothed and in his right mind. And all the people of the town like, oh, you canceled our freak show, man. you got to get out of here. You canceled all of our winning lottery numbers. And they want Jesus to leave. Why? Because he, 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 he showed his power, and now this devil-possessed man, and now he's a born-again child of God. And they said, get out of here. You know what he did? He left. He got on the boat and went back the other way. <laughs> and you got to remember, uh, you got to learn to see past yourself. And if you're going to do work, if you're going to do street work, if you're going to knock on doors, even in the workplace where you work, if you're going to give some of your personal testimony, you got to think, I'm giving my testimony, but it's not about me. It affects me, but it's about Jesus Christ. So you have to learn to see past yourself and always remember that it's not about you. It's about him. I take a look at a verse. I know you know all about this. We often use these verses to describe the time, Second. Timothy chapter 3. But something you're going to have to constantly fight against is yourself. I used to get upset at my preacher. I know you find that hard to believe, but I used to get upset at my preacher. He's like, you are your own worst enemy. But that's absolute truth. I know the devil hates you. And see, look, if you're here today and you're saved, the devil can't mess with your soul. Amen? But he sure can try to go after your testimony. What he wants you to do, since he can no longer get your eternal soul stuck in hell, now he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your personal testimony for Jesus Christ. That's why I believe it's in Revelation chapter 12, 11, or 10 there. The devil is referred to as the accuser of our brethren. Because every time I believe, many times when you mess the thing up, the devil's like, you see that? You see that? You see that? He calls you your, your father. And you call him, he's accusing you. And the devil wants to destroy your testimony. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, just something that I know you already know, but look at verse 2, uh, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now I want you to see how the peril is defined. The peril is defined in verse 2, for men shall be, there it is. That's the peril of today, isn't it? I know there's a list of other things. But you and I are going to have to fight this peril of being in love with ourselves, and making everything about ourselves, and making sure we're always comfortable and we're always satisfied and our flesh is always pampered and we always get what we want and we always are represented in the correct light and everyone thinks highly about us. We've got the right number of likes on our profile and the right number of listens on our audio messages that we send out. And, and everyone, you see what I mean? You're going to have to fight that. Why? Because in these last days that you and I live in, the peril is we're in love with ourselves. That's why you hear the old preachers talk about the selfie generation. Click, 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 right? And the whole thing is, you know, if they had cell phones around during the time of Moses going through the Red Sea, they never would have got across because they would have been taking selfies, <laughs> right? 
And you have to fight that. We'll say, why are you saying that? Because giving your testimony, it affected you, but it's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember, when you visit others and you tell others about the Lord, and I'm hoping this is helping this morning, you've got to be polite. And as mom and grandma would always say, mind your manners. Amen? Uh, let me give you the next one. Not only uh, be polite and be courteous, but number two, live your testimony. This is a big one. We've been hitting on in the book of 1 Thessalonians there in Acts chapter 26, verse 2. Uh, notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says to King Agrippa in verse 2, I think myself happy. And as a side note, as the days get closer to going home to heaven and the rapture, can I just remind you that some days you are going to have to think yourself happy. <laughs> it's going to take work, isn't it? You're going to have to encourage yourself in the Lord. If you don't turn there, but if you go back, I believe it's 1 Kings where David, uh, David and his mighty men, all the Amalekites, they uh, burned the city of Ziklag with fire and they took all their kids and all, the, all their wives. You know what David did? He encouraged himself in the Lord. And here in Acts chapter 26, verse 2, he's standing, he's, in, he's a prisoner, and he's given a chance to testify about what the Lord's done for him. And he goes, O king, I think myself happy. Man, that's hard to do. Can you imagine being the clink? And I say, I think myself happy. <laughs> I'd like, get me out of here. Call Lee Free or Jeffrey Feiger or something for that matter. But uh, number two, you need to learn to live your testimony. He says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews. Think about it. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul was in prison for preaching the death, the burial, and resurrection. And the king says, why are you in prison? And Paul's like, I'm so glad you asked. Now I get to tell you why I'm here. I don't know if any of you have ever had that opportunity, but I've had just probably two or three opportunities in the last 26 years where people would come up to me. They knew I was religious or different, maybe had some magnets on my car, uh, maybe heard me talk about the Lord or something, and they would say, I've heard about being saved. Can you show me how to be saved? That's like, the, that's like winning the lottery, isn't it? I had a fellow that used to come to church here. He doesn't go here anymore. He's a good fellow, loves the Lord. And he came here for six weeks, and he came faithfully, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And it was about the sixth week. It might have been four. I might be stretching it. Probably about the fourth week, about 30 days. He comes up to me and says, Pastor, he says, every time you preach, on like on a Sunday morning, he says, you always talk about coming to this altar and getting saved. And he says this, we're about ready to start Sunday school, and I've only been here for a couple of months. He said, Pastor, do you think you could show me how to be saved? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Isn't this the coolest thing in the world? Don't you wish someone would come up to you and say, don't you, could you show me how to be saved? Would you witness to somebody if they asked you? Sure you would. And my wife's brother was here, and I said, here, you do the opening. And I went, and before Sunday school even started, without an invitation, he got on his knees and got saved back in my office, just like that. But they're generally not going to happen that way, are they? Only happen once or twice. Uh, one of the great things about uh, having an old-fashioned church service like we have here in a little bit, we have the bigger service, is if you have an altar call and the Spirit's moving and people are listening, someone from time to time will come forward and want to get saved. And if you're ready you could have the opportunity to deal with that individual up here and lead someone to Jesus Christ. All right, so Paul's given the opportunity to uh, speak for himself. And uh, so living your testimony is especially important when you are witnessing to someone who sees you frequently, right? Like family members. 
coworkers, school, people you go to school with. Think about it. If you profess that Jesus Christ has truly changed your life, that's your testimony, then you better live like it, right? So living your testimony, that's just a, a specific pointer we want to pass your way here. And, you know, much damage, I'll say this, as much damage has been caused in this town and every town around here because there are many Christians who say one thing, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I'm born again, yes, I love the Lord, and then they live a completely different story. So, uh, someone aptly said, your life may be the only Bible some people ever read. Think about it. You, your life may be the only Bible some people ever see. You ever wonder what kind of read material you present yourself to this world? That's a tough one, isn't it? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul hits on this thing. Uh, some of the old preachers says, uh, you may be the only Jesus people ever meet, right? If Christ is in you when you get saved, he's the you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory, you might be the only Jesus some people ever see. Some people may never darken the doorstep of a church or come. It might be you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. So you say, what are you saying? Well, your life is an open book. How you live represents who you are. So we're saying this, not only should you, uh, not only should you be courteous, right? Don't force your testimony. That's the first one we talked about. But number two, you should live your testimony. You should, you should walk your talk. And we've been keying on that in the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's what gave Paul the power. And let me tell you what, you start walking the way you talk, you will have power in your Christian life. The Holy Spirit will give you power. Let me give you number three here. Uh, this is simple. Much like number one, just be polite. Just be polite. Look at Acts 26.3. Acts chapter 26, verse 3, the Bible says, especially because I know, remember this is Paul talking to King Agrippa. He says, especially because I know thee to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Notice how polite Paul is to that heathen king. You say, why is this important? Well, I think many times as Bible believers we get the idea that because we live in a wicked world, because we live in a sin-cursed world, We've got to be rude and kick everything. Now, look, I'm all about having a bad attitude about certain things. Amen? I'm all about having a bad attitude against sin. I'm about having a bad attitude about wickedness going on in the community. But if you're going to tell someone about the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to learn to be polite. You can't be kicking everything and kicking everyone, right? You want them to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you meet them with the one, two, three punch, that doesn't mean you don't tell them that there's a penalty for sin. That doesn't mean you don't tell them they're a sinner and they're headed to hell, but you still can be polite about how you present it. See what I mean? And there's got to be a balance there. I know some people, and they're just, they're just so crude and coarse and just rough and tough. They're like sandpaper. And I understand you and I are supposed to be salt in this world, aren't we? We're supposed to have salty speech that makes people desire the water of life freely. But, you know, there comes a point in time where you can just be like stinking beef jerky and everyone just gags to death because they can't handle what you're saying. So you just have to learn to be polite. You should give uh, honor to those who deserve it. Uh, much like the first one, be gracious. Learn to be gracious. 
Notice what Paul uh, says to the king. He doesn't say, look here, you wicked heathen rascal. He says, I know thee to be an expert in all customs. He wasn't shining his shoes. He was telling the truth. You know, one of the key things, and like I said, this isn't a sales class, but if someone is a master tradesman and you're witnessing to them, you ought to bring that out. And if you can illustrate something to their skill set, it even works better. So like you would talk to a tradesman, a master builder, he said, look, one of the most important things I know for you are the blueprints, right? If you don't have the right blueprints, then you're not going to be able to build the right structure. Look, much like in the Christian life, if you don't have the right Bible, you're in a mess. If you had the blueprints for a skyscraper and you're supposed to be building a swimming pool, well, it's going to be a mess. So then maybe that builder will be able to really, oh, yeah, you got to have the right blueprints, man. Yeah, you know, and, and if not, they sure are expensive and they lead you the wrong. You see what I'm saying? you got to maybe just be polite. Be gracious if that fellow's a, uh, what, maybe if he's a, uh, he's a politician or something, address him as his title. If he's a judge, if he's military, address him by their rank, sergeant, staff sergeant, corporal, lieutenant, whatever it is, you know, however you think, but just be polite. And Paul there in uh, verse 3 he says, I know thee to be expert in all custom. He's witnessing this fellow. And questions which are among the Jews. Now look what he says. Wherefore I beseech thee to hear me patiently. He's asking permission to just stay with me a little bit. All right? So uh, you appropriately address those who are your senior. I, st- I was raised old-fashioned. I still think it's ma'am and sir. I know some people get put out with that. But you can't run from your raising. I was taught to say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And if I didn't, I'm looking for the right hook, you know what I mean, (laughs) from the old man who's in the ground. (laughs) But you appropriately address those who are your senior. How about this, the military rank or specific office by their titles? And it's always easier, remember this, to gain someone's ear if you're polite. And we're missing that as Bible believers. We are. Why? Because we know the truth. The truth has made us free. We can pinpoint all the doctrines. We can pinpoint all the wickedness in this world. But we're rude have to learn to be polite and gracious. Let me give you number four here this morning. Just some pointers to help you in giving your personal testimony to others. You get the chance. You need to center your testimony on the Lord Jesus Christ. Center your testimony on the Lord. Look at uh, Acts 26. Look at verse 14. Center your testimony on the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 14 through 18. The Bible says, And when we were fallen to the earth... I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. And of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, Paul is giving this entire conversation the Lord had with him to this heathen king. He says, Unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Again, something we have to remember. We covered it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Your testimony is not about you. Notice in here, Paul doesn't go on about all his ministering, all the churches he started, and all the people he's led to Christ, and the people that he's baptized, and all the signs and wonders and miracles that the Lord's let him do, and the places you see. It's all about Jesus Christ. Remember, the uh, heathen king said, hey, why are you in prison? Paul was in prison for starting churches. Paul was in prison for being a missionary. 
Paul is in prison for preaching about Jesus Christ. So what is he doing? He's centering his testimony on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice here in this verses 14 to 18 that Paul only gives the crucial details. Uh, and then he gives out the words of Jesus Christ. When we give our testimony to others, we should affirm and testify on how good the Lord is, how good he has been, and what a great change he's made in our life. You say, what is that? That's centering your testimony on the Lord. See, it's easy because the Lord has done so much for us. It's easy for us if we're not careful to go off track and to start telling us how the Lord's blessed us, which is good. But you have to remember, you have to keep that center focal point on the Lord Jesus Christ and how what he did for you and how he changed you. Finally, let me give you number five, just some pointers. When you give your testimony, you should, if you're able, conclude with an invitation for the person to become a Christian. And this is one of the hardest things. And if I could bring you back to just one thing, uh, when I was learning how to sell ice cream, all right, I know, this is terrible. You can never be told no if you don't ask. So you don't always know, you can't always read somebody right when you give them your testimony. But you cannot be told no if you don't ask. I would conclude with an invitation to trust Jesus Christ. You might be surprised how much they've listened and how much they've retained and how the Holy Spirit may be working on them and dealing with them. Now I've got to exercise some caution because you have to learn to deal and, and read people. Amen? If someone's not ready, then you can't force them. And I've watched people even in this church who no longer go here, and that's fine. They would corner someone, and they would force them. Listen, let me tell you what. Someone will pray a prayer if you don't get off their back. I have a fellow I know, and I know him real well, and I sat down at a table with him. And I've been working on this uh, one fellow that I was working with for probably about four months, uh, giving him a gospel track, just trying to be a witness, spending hours and hours every day in a car with him traveling. And so then we go to this one place and have this appointment. I won't say names, uh, so forth and so on. But all of a sudden, this fellow who claims to be a Bible believer starts ramrodding the gospel down his throat. And basically, in the process of five minutes, tricks him into saying a prayer. You say, does that fellow get saved? I doubt it. Lord knows. You've got to have a little bit of sense when you deal with people, Amen. And if you're good with words, and if you're good with, you, if you're not careful, you can trick someone into saying something, right? You can also, if they're just tired of listening to you, they'll just do whatever you say so you get off their back. Oh, yeah, I got to say, sure, have a good day, click. <laughs> Away you go. But you got to use a little bit of common sense there. And after you finish witnessing to them, you uh, should consider extending an invitation for the person to be saved. And, uh, but to get to that point, you, you, you might have to ask them some questions about what they believe. You can't just give them your testimony and just not interact with them. Uh, you could, if you already know they're lost, and if they already know they're lost, you could say, if the Lord can save somebody like me, couldn't he save you? I mean, after all, we all deserve to be in hell with gasoline britches on. There's nothing special about us. Jesus Christ saved a wicked old sinner just like you and me. If he could save me, don't you think he could save you? That's a great question to ask. All right? If they say yes, you might respond with, well, let's pray, and you can ask him to save you right now. 
And like I said, at this point, if you're going to ask him that question, would you like to pray and ask Jesus Christ to say, you've got you to exercise a little bit of caution. You've got to be cautious. You need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as well as discerning of what's going on with the person. Amen. Uh, they might be fidgeting around and anxious. Look, if they're fidgeting around and anxious, it's not always because they're under conviction. It could be that you stop by and dinner's on the table and now it's cold. And they're really irritated and they want you to leave. And they're just trying to be polite and, they don't, and they've got to actually have more grace than you do because even though you see dinner on the table, you won't leave. You're just trying to get your quota for the day. You know? So just because they're fidgeting around and anxious, it doesn't mean they're under conviction. Um, on the other hand, they might be avoiding direct questions that you ask them because maybe they are under conviction. You know, some of the best preaching that's got to my old cold, stony heart, man, I'm telling you what, I was a mess after I heard it. You could ask me, uh, Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of what, and I'd have said, molasses? I don't know. I just said, I just, why? Just under such great conviction. And sometimes people won't be able to answer your direct, simple questions because the Holy Spirit may be just dealing with them in a severe way. And, uh, but listen, never, ever, ever force someone to pray a sinner's prayer. Never force them. Don't wear out your welcome. Always invite them. But make it specifically clear that it's their choice. And if they want to, then you, they, you have to, they have to take that step. And here's what you must be careful and sensitive about. When you visit someone's home, uh, you have to, number one, you have to determine whether or not they're saved or lost. It takes a little bit of figuring out sometimes. Uh, because some, so I'll, I'll tell you, uh, some people, they get saved when they're young and they never get in church and they're never raised in a Bible-believing church. And you know what you find out? You've been witnessing to them for a year, two years, and they're saved. They just haven't had the benefit of Bible-believing preaching or teaching or learning stuff from the Bible that, that y'all have, right? And what you're going to find out is, hey, you know what? They are saved, and the words of God, they begin to resonate into that heart once again. And what you're doing is you're giving them assurance of their salvation instead of leading them to Jesus Christ. So you've got to discern whether or not they're saved or lost. And number two, you need to decide what's the best way to talk to them, right? You've got to make that decision. Should I come back later? Should I keep the conversation going? This is just discernment. This is just common sense. And then finally, number three, like it says in Luke chapter 14, compel them to come in, right? The great Lord had a supper and he bid many. And just compel them to come in. Come on in. We've got a meal for you. Come on in. We're just inviting you to the supper. And compel them to come in. And you've got to remember this, Christian. You cannot save anyone. You can't. It's God who gave. It's Jesus who died. And you've got to remember, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. And I try to look and I try to use the best discernment I can. And if I don't see the Holy Spirit dealing with them, at this stage in my life, I'm more apt to let a person alone for a while. You say, why? Oh, yeah, miss a great opportunity. And, oh, you know, rescue the perishing and care for the dying. I'm all about that stuff. But, you know, can I just remind you that the Holy Spirit will deal with people a much better way than you will? And if you're not confident the Holy Spirit's dealing with them, you've given them the gospel, leave them alone. The Holy Spirit won't let them rest. You see what I mean? Give somebody a track and say, hey, you just inviting people out to church today. You go to church anywhere. 
and they'll be like, yeah, I used to go to church, but I don't go to church anymore, and so forth and so on. And he says, well, I don't know. Are you a Christian? Well, you know, I grew up in the church. He's not really answering the question and so forth. And just trying to discern. And if they're not willing to carry the conversation, he'll probably, well, I'll tell you what. Is it all right if I come back later? Great, sure. Maybe it's a coworker. Give us a track. I'd like to give you something to think about and read about later. And just leave it at that. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. Right? And then just live your testimony before them. That's strong. Um, one feller said this. He says, your, uh, your actions talk so loud, I can't hear anything you're saying. <laughs> but just remember, you can't save anyone. And the Holy Spirit is the one who does the convicting. And They're not convicted at your words. It's going to be the words of God. So going back and forth with them or bantering back and forth, it's not going to get the job done for Jesus Christ, is it? Think about it like this. If you could argue someone into getting saved, then someone else could argue them out of getting saved. So when you witness, you never want to argue with someone about getting saved. You want to give your personal testimony the best way you can and give it to them. Leave it alone. Be polite. Be courteous. Use discernment. Uh, let, sick the Holy Spirit on them. That's what I call it. <laughs> Look at John chapter 16 real quick, verse 8. And you can't forget, if you can debate someone right and wrong uh, into getting saved, then someone else is going to be able to come along and talk them out of it. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts and saved. It's not you. It's not your strong Christian character. It's not your strong Christian standards. Look at John 16, verse 8. It shows this. Bible says, and when he has come, talking about the spirit of truth, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You know what the job of the Holy Spirit is? To convict sinners. That's the Holy Spirit, and he's really good at it. <laughs> he really is. So when we give our personal testimonies, you've got to remember, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, not ours to argue. Let's take just a, we've got a couple minutes here left. I want to talk about not only our personal testimony, but how about this? Let's talk about uh, using gospel tracts. Using gospel tracts. Here's another way we can witness. And I'll tell you what, you might not be really good at giving your personal testimony, but you can be a stinking tract warrior. Amen? You really can. Uh, when, we, when the kids were younger, I, uh, I know I'm terrible. I used to use my kids like machine guns with tracks. Why? Because when they're small and young and cute, I mean, you could give them a, a piece of dynamite and someone would take it. You know what I mean? They're not going to refuse something unless they're a really hardened criminal, <laughs> right? Or they've really seared their conscience. They're generally not going to refuse them from children, are they? So we would use our kids. I know, terrible. We used to go into Walmart and I grab a stack of tracks and you know five kids and or however many were with me. I'm like, all right, don't go too far, but get rid of them. <laughs> they, they take them, you know. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there, you know. What are you doing? Nothing. I'm just using my. Well, the Bible said that kids are uh, they're like arrows, right? Arrows in the hand of a mighty man. I'm like, yeah, get them. You know. And then when we run out of people, like, stick them in the beer, you know, the cases of beer, you know. And so someone's going home with a Bush 30 pack, and they get down, what, what's this down here, you know? <laughs> you are going to hell, you know. <laughs> and he's like, man, I had too many tonight, you know. But we'd st stick them anywhere, man. <laughs> but gospel tracts are great tools in personal witness. Think about it. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm 46, am I 46? 
Thank you. Uh, I never couldn't remember because I always get it wrong. I'm 46 years old, and most people do not want a track from me. They don't. Now, I can give them to kids, right? <laughs> you know? But most people my age don't want tracks from me. Uh, when we're on the street, they, they're like, they look at me like I have the plague. But the younger, they'll take them from the younger, right? And the, and, and, and contra, uh, the other way, if you're a little bit older, they'll see you as a grandparent figure, and they'll take them from you. So gospel tracks are a great way. If you never open up your mouth, <laughs> I wasn't pointing that in any one direction or nothing like that. But, but many people have been saved from reading a gospel track. I've heard uh, stories of uh, uh people visiting uh, the public restroom, and they would take the toilet paper and pull it out and roll tracks up in there. That's, that's a little weird, but do it, amen, you know, right? Uh, oh, I, you know, kind of tracks that get read are those comic book chick tracks. I'm about ready to place an order for some Thanksgiving tracks. Um, but, you know, you got to be careful with those too. But it's a great way to get a personal witness in. And let me say this as we uh, begin to close here. You should always keep gospel tracts on hand. Uh, so what are you saying? Take them. Go back there and take them. Stick them in your car. Stick them in your coat. Stick them in the house. Uh, wherever. Stick them in every vehicle you have. Just grab 10 or 20 and put them everywhere. I mean, they're pennies. And they have the opportunity and the possibility of everyone getting somebody saved. I mean, I've had to throw some away. I apologize, and I try not to waste the Lord's money, but I just try to put them everywhere. And then still, ask my boys, whenever I want one, I can't seem to find one. Or if I do, it's like a track for the Mormons. I don't need a track for the Mormons. I need a gospel track. (laughs) All right, so you should carry them in your house, your car, uh, ladies, your purses, men, your pockets. Put Put some in your Bible. I've gone into some church and they got tracks laying in the bathroom. Not a bad idea, right? Uh, you can't give them out if you don't have them. So just think about this uh, as, as we're done here this morning. Gospel tracks go and they preach where, where you and I cannot. They go into other people's homes. They go into other people's bedrooms. They go into other people's cars. They go into other places of business where they would throw us out for witnessing to them and other areas long after we have made contact with that individual. We'll stop right there on the use of gospel tracks.